We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. What kind of mythical powers does a Sun Devil have? We've got to consider that. It's embarrassing, but we are who we are. We're not a very good team, but we're three and one somehow. And we got all the voters fools thinking we're pretty good. Jaworski Lane at 275 pounds showed a heck of a lot of athletic ability. Welcome to the Rotowire College Football Podcast. It is Wednesday, November 20th. We are really in the thick of, I guess, week 12 and a half as we uh, come up on week 13. Nick Whalen here with John McKechnie. John, we're sponsored this week by Alpha King. We're sponsored by Flex Seal. Um, we're kind of running out, honestly, of, of infomercial sponsorships at this point. Um, you can't see me right now, of course, since this is audio, but I am wearing my tack glasses. I'm seeing better than ever. I'm seeing right through my computer screen. <laughs> Whatever the next step is from 2020 vision, I feel like I have it. And when, I, when I'm not wearing my tack glasses, I, I feel like I'm completely blind. You're basically like Cyclops from X-Men at this point. Yeah, I mean, I, the other day I, I saw right through a building. It's insane how well these things work. So make sure you go get your tack glasses. Um, but I understand that Alpha King has come crawling back to us now. I think it's been six or seven weeks since their initial sponsorship and – you know, they initially determined that you know, our wuss levels were just far too high um, to continue that. But 
I know you've been kind of working on your anti-wussification. You've been just pounding red meat constantly. Mm-hmm. I the other day you were just eating a raw steak for lunch, which I thought was alarming, but you know, apparently Alpha King has taken notice. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people are saying that Oklahoma's comeback uh, on Saturday night was the comeback of the year, but I, I would argue that getting uh, Alpha King back in our yeah. good graces uh, was the true comeback of the year. And yes, yeah. I, I did accomplish that through convincing them uh, that I have switched to a completely all-meat diet. Um, mm-hmm. No squirrel around the office is safe either, in addition to, uh, yeah, just emptying out the steak cases at, at mm-hmm. local uh, grocers. So uh, once I convinced them of that and, and showed that I, I am willing to live the Alpha King lifestyle. Uh, we are back in their good graces and uh, we are getting shipped uh, literal tons of Alpha King to, to supply us through the winter here. Yeah, all I'm eating is, is Alpha King at this point. That's all you really need. I threw out my entire wardrobe. I know that was an issue um, just in terms <laughs> of the slim cut, the skinniness. And I just went and bought the entire Michael Strahan collection at, at JCPenney over at the West Town Mall. So that's how it's done. I think man. we're back where we need to be. Um, we're glad, glad to welcome Alpha King back, and of course Flex Seal. You know, I mean, we use Flex Seal all over the office. Every anything you really need can be flexed with Flex Seal. That's how our whole office reconstruction happened. Is yep. basically just Flex Sealing off the entire other new wing of the office. Yep. Yeah, we we hung I think five new TVs on the wall over there. Just taped them up there. Flex Seal's holding just fine, um, having no issues whatsoever. Um, the bigger news, I think, of the past week is you were recently on jury duty. Now, I've never been on jury duty. Um, I think my, my actual mailing address is still my parents' address, which I have just never bothered to change. So if there's a chance that I've been asked to do jury duty, I've just never been aware of it. Um, but as someone who you know went to the clink and, and did the jury... What was the experience? Uh, so I'm very glad that um, I, I went and was ultimately not selected because basically... That's uh, so messed up. No, trust me. This, this was the kind of case that uh, I would not would have not would have enjoyed uh, sitting through the course of this week. It was, was not the Scranton Strangler? Yeah, it was... Um, yeah, antithetical to to our podcast beliefs. It was a pretty gnarly crime. So glad I did not uh, get selected for this jury. But I essentially uh, was able to not get selected because they they sit you they sit twenty four people in in what they call the box, and then the judge nice. just like asks a bunch of questions, and a bunch of the nerds that were sitting around me in the box were just you know piping up and saying, oh, I have conflicts with this or, or this and that, yeah. and. Uh, kind of getting the attention of the lawyers. Meanwhile, I was just uh, looking really disinterested for the entire time. Hmm. And uh, I've completely established myself as someone that probably would not have been good to be on that jury because I would have been really bored the whole time. So I'm glad I I put off that vibe because, you know, otherwise we could be looking ahead to to Thursday or whenever the the, uh, deliberation is set. And I'd just be standing there like, Your Honor, uh, we have decided that the defendant is neither goals nor vibes. Mm-hmm. And for that reason, uh, the jury has opted to cancel him. And then the yep. judge would have just had me arrested on site yes. for not taking anything seriously. Well, yeah, we we really weighed heavily. You know, his lack of strength of schedule, his non-conference was terrible. <laughs> yeah. He didn't he didn't go out of his way to schedule any Power 5 teams. Uh, and therefore, we're going to keep him out. Um, what kind of questions did they ask? Like, did they ask anything about, like, do you think a group of five teams should get, get guaranteed a spot in the playoff, anything like that? Yeah, the, there was a lot of that. that there is um, a heavy Central Florida lean. I, I, yeah. um, I think it was just Scott Frost in, in, a, uh, mm-hmm. in a Santa Claus uh, outfit um, yep. in disguise, obviously. And uh, 
So yeah, there, there was a lot of that. Um, there was a lot of uh, what would you do if Tua was still healthy? Mm. Um, so that should the, the committee hold that against Alabama, right? So it was it was tough. You know, there was a hard line of questioning uh, all within there. Um, a lot of do you respect the Big Twelve? Uh, I really started to sweat through my suit mm-hmm. at that point. You should have just shouted like objection and everything. And be like, sir, this is not a court proceeding. Um, I, some, now I kind of hope that someday I am on this just to just to kind of get the full experience. But I guess from what I've heard, it's not nearly as exciting as like the process has seemed on like the People versus OJ. Yeah, I don't I don't think it would have been nearly as as mm. cool as that or or high profile mm. would have just been like pretty gnarly and and a lengthy three days or however long the trial lasts. So glad I'm out. Glad I'm out of that. Yeah, congratulations. Thank uh, you. You're a free man. Uh, let's get into the third edition of the college football playoff rankings, which were announced last night on Tuesday night, as they are each week. LSU, unsurprisingly, stays at number one. Ohio State, two. Clemson, number three. Georgia, four. Alabama, five. Then Oregon, Utah, Penn State, Oklahoma, and Minnesota. Still maybe getting a little too much respect now, hanging in there at number 10. Um not a whole lot changed over the course of this week. I, I don't think, speaking personally, any of these are are surprising to me. Um, you know, I, I think what's interesting is Oklahoma is still at number nine. I may, you maybe thought with the way that they they were able to storm back and win that game, maybe that that gets them a little bit more respect. But it seems like maybe it went the other way, and and the committee thought you know they shouldn't have been in that hole in the first place. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with, with with like part B of that statement. I think that was the committee's general frame of mind there because i mean on its surface oklahoma getting a road win over an undefeated baylor team you know theoretically would have bumped them up but i think we also have seen over the course of these first two rankings unveilings that the committee had some pretty serious reservations with baylor that it didn't have with say a minnesota so coming into last saturday night when baylor was really just taking Oklahoma to the woodshed is like, oh man, this is this is a rough look for Oklahoma. Luckily they're able to get it back in gear without CeeDee Lamb, which is, you know, pretty impressive to do that uh shorthand. And they lost Trey Sermon, uh the running back the weekend before. So not exactly clicking it on all cylinders there, but still able to get it done. So I, I would have I would have probably moved Oklahoma up a little bit more given that win um a little bit more respect. I, I think maybe I, I have a greater respect for Baylor than the committee seems to overall. Um, but I'd say, you know, looking one through one through seven, this was easy to, to just keep it yeah. uh, to have it stand pat there. And then, you know, beyond that, Penn State going to number two, Ohio State this weekend that sets up as I think the only ranked on ranked uh, matchup of this weekend. But otherwise, yeah, the the uh, the no real big shakeups, no real big headlines. I think the mm-hmm. only the only real <clears throat> one that generated a reaction was Oklahoma and its lack of movement. Yeah, I mean, like you said, uh, the top seven stayed the same, and even Baylor, you know, only dropped one spot despite the loss. Um, so not not much movement as we expected, and what was somewhat of a down week relative to the previous week when we had you know a lot of fireworks. Um, so like I said, Minnesota hanging around. I mean, they're extremely on the outside looking in. I mean, it's still Ohio State in the Big Ten. You know, is is in the driver's seat. LSU very much in the driver's seat in the SEC. Clemson controls its own destiny. Um, you know, I, I think they've actually started to look a little bit more like Clemson, yes, or at least the Clemson definitely. that we expected these last few weeks. They've, you know, beat the dog crap out of Wake Forest on Saturday. And I mean, I I think even with some of the warts that they showed earlier in the season, I would be absolutely shocked if Clemson slips up uh, between now and the next few weeks. So I, I think we can pencil Clemson in pretty safely. Um, I, I would like to say you could pencil Ohio State in, though. You know, we'll see what happens this weekend. I think the Michigan game 
you know, week to week, uh, kind of ever since that Wisconsin loss for Michigan, the Michigan game is looking more and more difficult, I guess. And that's really nothing. It's not like Ohio State has had anything to do with that. I mean, they've certainly looked as invincible as ever, you know, week to week. But I think, you know, the way that Michigan has, you know, it seemed like maybe they were on the brink of just com- complete fallout. You know, we talked after the Wisconsin game, like, is this the end for Harbaugh? And mm-hmm. it, that talk has kind of faded away, you know, and, and I think it's probably still there if you went and talked to people in Ann Arbor. But they've reeled off a few impressive wins. And, and at the very least, it seems like they're going to put up a much bigger fight against Ohio State when that game arrives than maybe it looked like four or five weeks ago. Oh, yeah. It's it's so different now. And, you know, Michigan also will have, uh, in addition to being uh, on a on an absolute heater right now, they're, they're playing their best football, really dating back to uh, the middle part of, of last season after the Notre Dame game, I, I guess you could say. Um, they, they've just looked really, really strong here. They, they really took care of business against Michigan State. Um, by the way, and I know one of our listeners is a big uh, Michigan State fan. I would like to hear what what they all think about D'Antonio coming back for 2020 because it feels like it's coming yeah. to an end there. Like while Harbaugh had those questions about his his standing, his tenure mm-hmm. um, at Michigan earlier this season, he's answered the bell in a in a big way. Whereas D'Antonio, like and Urban Meyer, was pretty rough on Michigan State last week, just pointing to the lack of you know talent that that's on the field there. Like he's he just said burn. he said like flat out like who's the nfl player on this team or something right. or something along those lines it's like geez well yeah um but well, yeah. well like you said though shout out to plaxico burris for listening that's been awesome all the feedback <laughs> he's been able to give us really cool to have him on board and, and uh yeah no just just him but um otherwise rounding it back to the to the michigan ohio state discussion that is going to be in uh the big house i believe and uh michigan getting to play spoiler here that like that will effectively be their national championship game and i think that that could uh end up being a, a tough spot for ohio state i think that we'll, we'll probably see ohio state be double digit favorites in that one but i think michigan can really really give them a test yeah I, it's going to be a lot of fun um you know like i said just just the way that michigan has been able to somewhat flip the narrative you know we'll see i mean that'll kind of be the ultimate test i think I, I wouldn't say it's gotten to the point where Harbaugh needs that win to save his job, but I think you know you really kind of change the way that the momentum has shifted in this in this uh, program overall. I think if you're able to win that game, but I mean before that, uh, Ohio State does have to play Penn State. They get them at home. They get the 11 a.m. Central Time slot big uh, noon Saturday. Big noon Saturday. Love that. That's uh, apparently it is working well ratings wise. It's a disaster if you're, I mean, we can really pour one out or maybe even take a moment of silence for the Ohio State and the Penn State students that, you know, are subjected to probably waking up at 7 or 8 a.m. to get adequately prepared for this game. I but agree with that, yeah. That's an 11 a.m. kick. The Michigan game is also going to be an 11 a.m. kick. Um, and there's, there's a, I think, a pretty strong point to be made that these are the two toughest tests for Ohio State all season. Maybe we thought Wisconsin would be one of those tests, and maybe it ultimately will be after these two games are played. But I think with the way they steamrolled Wisconsin, um, it's hard not to imagine Penn State putting up you know, a significantly better fight than a 38 to seven beatdown. I think they will, but man, I'm, I'm starting to feel more and more like Ohio state will take care of business pretty resoundingly on Saturday. Like it's, mm. it's not really that Penn state had just by virtue of them losing to Minnesota or, or, you know, having a, a competitive game against Indiana really means everything. I just, I just feel like more, moreover, Ohio state is 
truly a, a cut or two above this Penn State team and, and them being at home here. I think that we see Ohio State win this one rather comfortably, unfortunately. So what, mm-hmm. what sets up as one of the most impactful and, and obviously the biggest uh, game of the weekend, I could see it falling a little bit flat in terms of the actual results on the field. I think I think Ohio State wins this one comfortably. I uh, I would never bet against Ohio State in a position like this. Um, they've you know they're kind of one of those programs that just doesn't seem to to have these bad losses. You know, and this wouldn't you know for most programs losing to the number eight team in the country wouldn't be considered a bad loss. But I mean, Ohio State historically has taken care of business in these type of games, and this team is just absolutely rolling offensively. I mean, their their two lowest offensive outputs have been thirty four points and thirty eight points. And those didn't cover against, against Rutgers though. Well, true. I mean, they did allow twenty one points to that Scarlet Knights That's offense insane. after putting seventy three on Maryland <laughs> the week before. Um, so, the, the, if you're really kind of trying to, you know, kind of game out where the playoff rankings are headed right now, uh, like we said, not not much changed this past week other than Minnesota, you know, kind of officially being knocked out, which we figured would happen eventually, whether it was last week or or, or later on. Um, LSU, you know, I, I think they're in a, a great great spot still, unless they slip up. Um, I think they could even lose the SEC title game yes. to Georgia and and still be in pretty good shape. But let me, let me just lay out this scenario, which is probably the nightmare scenario for the committee in terms of the backlash that you're going to face no matter what. Uh, that scenario would be LSU winning out in the regular season, losing to Georgia, which would also win out in the regular season in the SEC title game. So then you would have one loss Georgia with the loss being to South Carolina. So not a great loss, but they would also have a win, the best win in the country over then number one LSU. They would have four really good wins at that point. Right. You know, including the Auburn game, including the Florida game. You have one loss LSU, which would have just lost that game to then what might be number one, Georgia. You would have one loss Alabama, still just hanging around without Tua, that one loss coming to LSU. You would have then one loss Oregon or Utah. So that's four teams, Georgia, LSU, Alabama, and then the winner of the Pac-12 title game, assuming those teams went out. You'd have four one-loss teams likely fighting for two spots, assuming that Ohio State and Clemson take care of business and, and snatch up two of the four. Whew, yeah, that would be really, really nightmare scenario like you're saying because the, the presumption being uh, that Ohio State and Clemson just go ahead and take care of business the rest of the way. Man, I think that, I mean, the committee has come out and said that, you know, the conference title matters. So I would imagine that it goes to the two conference champions. But I think overall, like, again, this is a complete chaos scenario. I think more, it's more likely that LSU gets in even with a loss to Georgia in the SEC title game than not, just because I think that they they truly are like that number one team and it would be wild to to leave them out. But um, yeah, if if the Pac-12 is able to hold serve there, um, then one of their one of or their champion is Mm going to get in, be it uh, Oregon or Utah. Um, I don't really see a path for Alabama getting in here because they don't really have they don't have a path to a quality win at this point. Like if they beat Auburn, then their best win is a win over an eight and four Auburn team. Like that's just not going to do it. So I honestly think that Alabama's done. I just think that I think so too. I mean, they they would need kind of a catastrophic loss by LSU, you know, or two Arkansas can losses. Arkansas right. like, can do that. But. I mean, they need major major help at this. They needed help last week. They needed help, you know, possibly. At, you know, basically as soon as they lost to LSU, they they kind of lost the ability to control their own destiny. Yes. And with the way LSU is rolling, I mean, it just doesn't look like that's going to happen. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I don't. I wouldn't say it's officially safe to cross Alabama out. I mean, that's just a team that you never want to count out, but. Being on the back of quarterback, needing the help that they do already, um, yeah, it's not looking great for them. But I, I think the bigger question then becomes, in that scenario, and who knows if we even get there, but you, you, do you think they would keep out a one-loss LSU 
versus a one-loss conference champion, let's say it's Oregon. Yeah, that's that because I mean LSU it seems like has just been the team for the last, you know, basically starting week 5, week 6 when it once it really became clear that they were, you know, going to be a top flight team and then as soon as they beat Alabama, it just it would be inconceivable almost for that team to not be in the playoff. Yes, it, it really would. So um, that would be the biggest test to the committee in, in terms of uh, having the winning your conference mean anything. And we, we've seen it in the in the past. I mean, obviously with Alabama in 2017 getting in despite not having played in their conference title game. I think they're the only example of that uh, that, that has happened to this point here. So LSU would be in there uh, having the one loss only come against the the one loss conference champion in the conference championship game so it would be really tough to leave them out but I think mm-hmm. maybe you'd have to just because well I mean the other the other way to look at it is maybe they just opt to leave Georgia because they have the worst loss right well that's what I was going to say is like that's almost equally inconceivable given the, some of the good wins that Georgia would have including like I said what would be the best win in the country beating an undefeated LSU team in that conference title game, you know, would they really hold the South Carolina loss against them that much? Because Georgia would have the best win, but also the worst loss of all those teams. And and then, you know, the only loss for Oregon is that close game in week one against Auburn. That seems like forever ago. We've mm-hmm. kind of seen it happen even back before the playoff that you, if you're in contention, you want to lose early. It seems like, you know, over the course of 12, 13 weeks, people kind of forget about that. You know, you'd rather have that loss happen, you know, back in late August as opposed to mid-December. Oh, yeah. Um, but it, it's going to be dicey. I mean, I, I think there's – if we get to that scenario, it's really a no-win game. You know, it's, somebody's going to be really upset, whether it's LSU or Georgia. And if you leave the Pac-12 out and put in two SEC teams, including the non-conference champ, I think we're going to see kind of the expanded to six or eight teams crowd, you know, kind of being at an all-time volume level. Yeah, and and also that would be like the first time where I really agreed with expansion. Like, I love the four, personally. I think that it, it, it adds an element of exclusivity to it mm-hmm. all. Um, but when there when there is like six legitimate cases to be made in only four spots, then mm-hmm. then it then argu- the argument for four gets gets shrunk down a little yep. bit, and the argument for expansion does does come up a little bit better. I, I would like to expand to six, and then you're you're rewarding number one and two with a buy. I, I think that you know maybe you don't get the same exclusivity, but then it adds a little more weight to being the number one or number two team. You know, kind of like That's the true. NFL type of structure. Um, I think the problem once you expand to eight or potentially beyond that, no, no matter what number it ultimately expands to in the future, which I think is going to happen, we're not going to have a four-team playoff for the next thirty years. There's always going to be these situations. You know, right now it might be number five team feels like they're getting left out in a few years it might be like the number nine team is getting left out and you know at what point do you kind of cap it and yes there's certainly that so so there's the slippery slope element to it and then there's kind of also my counter which is the semifinals with just four teams the four best teams have kind of sucked like they've been i mean the build-up has been great i've loved watching them but they have been blowouts i mean outside of the georgia oklahoma rose bowl and the Alabama Ohio State one has there really been a great semifinal game like I, I just I when I think of those think, semifinal I games quality... I, just, I think of Jameis at a 70 degree angle <laughs> with the ball just like way behind his head so we I just I think that we could muddy the quality of it even further and I you know I think that the the playoff game like even at the four you see the the shakiness or the, or the differential between the the top and the and the lesser team there um, I think that we would see that get even more mm-hmm. extreme and we, we'd see what what ultimately becomes like just crappy borderline unwatchable games at some point yeah i think if you get beyond six or eight yeah you, you have that issue where you know maybe you're not giving out a buy and you have you know you would have let's say you know the rankings right now if, if you were at 
I don't know, 10 teams or whatever, which I know it's not an equal number. Like you could have Minnesota facing LSU, you know, and like that's, you know, you, the caliber of teams does fall off pretty quickly. And I, I think we almost have like a deeper field this year than, than we have in a lot of years. Yes. I and mean, right now the number 10 team has one loss. You know, everybody in the top 10 is a one loss team. So I think right now it's a pretty deep field and you still have that divide. Um, but the other issue too is as you expand, you're inherently creating more games. So I mean, you could have a situation where if you're, if you're a lower seeded team, in an, in an eight-team playoff, I mean, you're playing three extra games, you know, on top of your regular season schedule. I, you know, I think if anything, the way things are moving, you know, teams almost want to chop off games. You want to you know, expose players to fewer injuries. Um, and I think that's where some of the pushback would come on the players' side. Yes, Not that absolutely. you don't want to play more games as a competitor, but you know, a lot of these guys looking forward to their NFL future. Some of these guys were already sitting out bowl games. You know, not that guys are sitting out playoff uh, college football playoff games, but you know, I, I think you want to limit the strain, and you can't really. You can't cut off games earlier in the season because, you know, you don't know if you're going to make the playoff. Yeah, exactly. So that, that is like one of the more salient points against the expansion is just that you don't want to have these guys who are unpaid getting to getting like that extra game here. And, and even if you give them like ample rest, you really want the college football season lasting like into mid-January. Like not. not I wouldn't really. be opposed to cutting down the, the amount of time between the conference championship games and the playoff because that is a long wait. Yeah, that's like that's three a really weeks. long wait. You know, like I mean, it's it's like a full month almost, right? Yeah, I mean Notre Dame, who didn't have to play in a conference title game last year, I think they probably went a full month without yeah. or between games. Right, and it's always been like that. I mean, even going back to the old um, BCS format where the title game, it's it felt like you just you know you'd see these teams play in their in their conference title games, and then you just kind of forget about it, and then the game would just pop up. So maybe some reduction in that time, uh, kind of mix it in with the rest of the bowl season. Um, elsewhere in Week Twelve, we should obviously talk about Tua um i mean alabama I, I don't really think this ends up having much of an impact on where this you know this 2019 season ends up you know even with two other like we just said they're going to have a really tough time kind of getting to where they wanted to be uh, but now in steps mac jones and I, I think the bigger question is one how does this affect Tua's nfl stock two does this raise the possibility of Tua coming back for a senior season you know, I've seen variants as far as what the timeline looks like. And, you know, first of all, this is like, you know, the worst possible injury you could imagine in, yeah. in college football. And, you know, it's worse than the torn ACL because we, we have such a good track record of guys coming back from that and quarterbacks, you know, not being all that much worse for wear from it. But I mean, this is kind of a, a scary uh, type of injury, like anything with the hip and you 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 saw Bo Jackson trending on Saturday yeah. and I thought that was a bit a bit much but at the yeah. same time you know it, it goes to show you how serious this injury was he seems like he's in good spirits after that surgery as far as his draft stock if he still gets back from from the draft advisory board that he'll be like a top 20 pick then I think he should just go um and, and a team should just you know kind of be really cautious with him essentially give him like a red shirt rookie mm -hmm. season and let him get paid on that unless he unless Tua really decides that he can come back to Alabama next year and be that number one overall pick in 2021 um, then I, I don't really see a reason for him to come back necessarily. I don't think the monetary gap is enough to, to make it worth uh, risking another injury unpaid. As someone who's never been drafted in the first round, I agree. I would, uh, if you're a lock for the first round, which I think he still would be, you know, I, I think be. it would, there are so many teams, you know, you could imagine in the back end or a team would trade up, you know, in the twenties, if he's still on the board, like I can't imagine unless, you know, unless we get further wrong in this rehab and it just really looks like this is going to be a more severe injury than we think. And by all accounts, it, everything went well, about as well as it could have as right. far as the surgery. Um, but, 
you know, if you have that first round grade and it, and it looks like it's a lock, I, I think you have to take it, uh, especially given the other, this isn't, it's not like he's been bulletproof before this, you know, I think there's like, there's always the possibility that he comes back and for, for him, it's not a situation where I would worry about him playing his way out of the first round. You know, he's not someone I would worry about coming back and just not having a great year. Like he's going to be good if he's on the field, but what if you come back and tear your ACL or, you know, break your collarbone or, you know, just kind of add to this laundry list of injuries. Like even before this latest one, which is the most severe, there were already durability concerns. Yeah. He's had tightrope surgery on both ankles. Right. Right. And those durability concerns aren't going anywhere. You know, even if he plays, if he comes back and plays a full 13 game season, those questions are still going to be there, you know, and I think with the hip, you're you're not necessarily even worried about the short term. You're probably worried about more six, seven years down the road. How's that going to hold up when he starts taking NFL hits? So mm-hmm. I'm with you. I mean, we're in no position to tell Tua what to do, but um, I think if you're if you're looking at a first round grade and especially, you know, a, a quote unquote lottery grade in that top 15 or 16, you have to think pretty seriously about coming out no matter what. Yeah, it, he really should. Um, I'd be surprised if he doesn't. But, um, you know, I wouldn't put it past like Alabama having like an honestly better rehab program for him than like some NFL <laughs> the Bengals, teams. Yeah. yeah, than the Bengals, yeah, necessarily. Well, that's part of it too is I think it, you know if if we get to I don't know when when is the deadline that you have to decide Oh, like um, January 20th or something. Oh, is that early? Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, I was going to say, I guess at that point we'll know the draft order. You know, if it's if it's looking at that point if he's getting signals from you know, whether it's the Dolphins or the Bengals or the Redskins or whoever that they that they are still very interested in him, like in some ways he can kind of control it. If he looks at one of those situations and says, I don't want to be a Cincinnati Bengal, you know, then maybe that influences your decision to possibly come back. But, you know, with the way that the NFL draft works, so much changes between January and, and April that I guess it's tough to to kind of make that inference. Yeah. Uh, and one other, you know, possibility uh, that I, I would want to toss out there is what XFL. if he comes comes back to Alabama and just doesn't play next year? Like just spends the just whole rehabs. year rehabbing and just, yeah, bets on his twenty his resume to this point uh, and bets on himself and then, you know, do, is able to be fully healthy for the draft process and, and the pro day and everything mm-hmm. like that in the lead up to the 20, 2021 draft. Not necessarily, probably conceding that Trevor Lawrence would end up being the number one quarterback that year. Mm-hmm. But, you know, being able to train in, in the place where he's grown accustomed to over these past few years with the training staff that he's grown accustomed to and grown comfortable with and just not playing not risking another injury as an unpaid amateur here um, but just getting through the the treatment there and then going into the 2021 draft yeah I don't I don't hate that idea you know especially with the presumed comfortability with the training staff Um, you know I I think staying at Alabama is has proven to be you know a a pipeline obviously to the NFL and I, I don't think teams would necessarily look down on that but at the same time if you're a team that's really interested in him I think you want him in your system you know at least like yeah, there might be there might be teams that draft him with the idea of kind of an NFL redshirt where yeah, yeah. you know it's just sit out you know like rather than spending that time just hanging out at Alabama rehabbing and you know kind of strengthening your your hip and whatnot you know be in be in our system be in our building learn our playbook stuff like that like I think that would almost have more value to that some teams sense. but yeah. um, but at the same time you know I think it inherently dings his stock if the if it gets to the point where it looks like he's not going to be ready to play at all whether it's in college or in the pros in twenty twenty. Um, you know, some teams you know, kind of want that instant gratification. I think it's tough to to have a season where you go two and fourteen, draft this quarterback, and then tell your fan base we actually have to wait one more year for this guy. You know, for some teams, they're just not willing to do that. Right? Yeah. So that's that's a sticky part of all of it. I really have no no firm idea mm-hmm. of which way it's it's going to go or where he's going to get drafted when it, when it's all said and done. Is it a, a 
potential 2020 competitor trading up into the teens to get him yep. or I, not. One, one like kind of just one thing I do feel confident in is that we've probably seen the last of Tua in an Alabama uniform. Yeah, I mean, I keep hearing that he loves Alabama. He loves playing college football. I mean, at, at some point, though, you know, the business aspect, I think, has to take over. Yes, I, I think it you're has right. to. Yeah. I think the most fun scenario is like the Patriots trading up and getting him at like 28. And then and then he becomes a bust, like with the with the totally healthy hip and ankle. Like <laughs> he, He's just not actually good. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I personally like to. I, I want him to play well. Yeah, but I mean, maybe I not in a patch for the Patriots. Yeah, right. Um, okay. Well, let's do a quick recap of, of the other events in week 12. We hit on the Oklahoma comeback. Um, probably shouldn't have been in that situation overall, but still you know, a really fun game to watch them storm back 24 to nothing in the second half of that game. We hit on Michigan a little bit as well. I, possibly good now. Yes. Um, looking ahead, the DraftKings Sportsbook has them as an 11 point dog at home in that Ohio State game as of right now. You know, we'll see if that maybe shifts one way or the other between now and then. But um, I think given the way Ohio State's played offense, 11 points, it's, it's huge on the road against a top 15 team. But, you know, I, I think that sounds like kind of the right number. Um, but like we said, I, I, I think I'm pretty impressed with what Michigan has showed these last couple of weeks. Yeah. So, I mean, it, essentially, it, it says that Ohio State's probably like a two touchdown favorite over over Michigan yeah. on, on like a neutral site here. Um, yeah, that, that's a 11 points sounds about right. Um, that that Ohio State offense can hurt you in so many different ways. I mean, the way that Dobbins is running, it doesn't matter who's trying to defend him. He's he's ridiculous. Master Teague off the bench, uh, also ridiculous. And Ohio State's receiving core, once again, where they had like four NFL receivers on their team last year, they have that again basically this year with, with K.J. Hill, disgusting. Victor, Chris Olave, and uh, Garrett uh, Garrett Wilson just coming on strong there so uh, just so much to like from that uh from that offense overall and the defense once Chase Young is back I I think he's going to be back for that Michigan game if I, if I remember correctly mm-hmm. if not this week I, I forget exactly um but that's a fully loaded Ohio State team that has its sights set on the playoff is going to be a really tough one for Michigan to beat but I think this is the best uh, that Michigan will or the toughest that Michigan will have played them since the 2016 season so I mean that's not saying a ton because they mm-hmm. got their doors absolutely blown off a year ago in Columbus and in the year before they just weren't really all that competitive against Ohio State 2017 just not a great year for Michigan but this year I think they're going to give them a game again I feel like that spread sounds right but uh, that would be one where I'd be tempted to side with Michigan, maybe making that even closer, maybe maybe making it like a true two score game, like 10 points mm-hmm. or less. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's about right. Um, and Chase Young will be available okay. this week against Penn State. Um, sorry, Iowa. Sorry, Sean Clifford in advance for that one. <laughs> well, actually, let's jump to Sean Clifford. He sure. uh, he's receiving death threats, had to delete his social media in the aftermath of the Minnesota game. Of course, a game in which he threw three picks and potentially ended Penn State's chances um, you know, to, to make the college football playoff, but we'll see how that goes this weekend. Uh, but Penn State, yeah, probably closer than expected win against Indiana at home in Week 12, 34-27. Uh, elsewhere in the Big Ten, Iowa, 23-19, handing Minnesota its first loss. Tanner Morgan ended up in concussion protocol. Mm. By the end of that game, he's still a little iffy, it sounds like, for this coming weekend. Um, but, you know, still, I, I'm still pretty impressed with this Minnesota team. It, it pains me to say it, but I, I thought, you know, we gushed about them last week after the win over Penn State, which, you know, they looked like a legitimate, uh, maybe not playoff contender, but, a, you know, contender in the Big Ten for, for the next few years here. 
moved the ball well for most of this game just just weren't able to finish off drives and you know fell behind 13 nothing after the first quarter and you know never really um never really felt like they had control yeah when it comes to minnesota yeah but i mean they, they definitely had had their chances they, they had their missed opportunities in that game for sure but mm-hmm. um after falling behind early i think we knew that and this has been established over the course of years i mean since kirk ferentz has been there iowa is a very very tough place for a road team to come in and get a victory and you, you got to be you know kind of a cut above there and minnesota proved to be maybe not quite that but i still buy minnesota as like you know a top 10 ish team this year that they've done really well for themselves and um even though they lost to iowa i think that they can still be an interesting team where you know i think they will end the year as one of the biggest surprises overall so uh even though it's a tough effort for, from them uh still all good when it comes to penn state um and like Sean Clifford and stuff, it's like where if you're a Penn State fan and you're like that, and we've seen in it, this isn't to single out Penn State specifically because there are so many fan bases that do dumb stuff. But I mean, we've had two instances now of really dumb Penn State fandom this year with, with the one guy like writing a handwritten letter saying like, "Hey, <laughs> hey, son, I love the way you play football. Cut your dreads." Like that that was bad. And then uh, obviously death threats are inexcusable as well. Penn State's nowhere close to this position if if not for Sean Clifford. Penn State no. is nowhere close to this if Tommy Stevens is their quarterback. Like Sean Clifford has been awesome this year. So um, to get that mad about any any quarterback doing that um, to get that mad is is ridiculous but uh sean clifford i I still think is awesome and i I think that you know he'll have penn state ready to go uh on saturday hopefully kj hamler is good to go i think i know he got dinged up a little bit Mm -hmm. against indiana but um yeah i I think that uh those yeah the penn state come on be a little bit better there real quickly before we move on from penn state um there's a report and report is probably even a little strong but uh you know there's the potential that uh, james franklin is on the radar for usc and it, it does kind of seem like you know, USC has played this fairly close to the vest so far, but with the way things are going, I think a change is coming. And you know, basically the article, which is, which is on ESPN, um, essentially implied that if it's not Urban Meyer, uh, USC would shift its focus to James Franklin. And you know whether James Franklin would take that job, how much how much of a leap up is USC from Penn State at this point? I think in terms of prestige, it's still pretty you know it's a big leap in terms of recruiting, in terms of what you can offer just from the school, the atmosphere, things like that. But um, you know what are the chances you think he would leave what he's built at Penn State? Um, I I think you can't rule it out completely. I mean USC is a better job. First of all, um, it, the, who are you recruiting against compared to what Penn, like your recruiting battles going up when you have the when you're on lesser ground than Michigan and Ohio State? Um, that's that's a tough thing that you're going to have to deal with year in year out. And, and Franklin has won a lot of those battles. I mean, he's gotten a lot of five stars in the door at Penn State, so he's proven that he can do a great job. You know, being the number three. Uh, kind of being in the third position in his own division um, while at Penn State. But at USC, you can just absolutely plant your flag and just start dominating Southern California the way that USC should be dominating Southern California. And then you end up dominating. You you have a much easier path to your conference title game uh, playing in the South there. Um, I I respect Utah, obviously, but I, I don't think any of the other programs really come close to really challenging what a full steam ahead USC team would look like. So I think it would make all the sense in the world for Franklin to leave. And that would be tough to, to leave mm-hmm. what he's built there. And he's really done an amazing job considering what, what he took over um, at, at Happy Valley, all things considered. Um, so 
done a great job there. But if USC really wants him and, and marks him as their man, I wouldn't be surprised if they get him. I think he's an awesome second choice, right? I mean, he'd be the number one choice for most schools. And I guess if you can get Urban Meyer based on his track record now at three different schools, you kind of have to do it. Sure. I know he is, his reputation publicly has taken a hit, but if he's winning games, we've that's been proven over and over that that'll fade away. Um, and I should correct myself. This was actually a Dennis Dodd of CBS Sports had this report, okay. and he's he's citing quote multiple reports that Franklin is the number two guy, um, and he notes in that report that. Franklin is due to make $6.3 million in the final year of his deal, which is in 2022. USC would obviously be willing to offer significantly more than that. So I think there's, you know, not only his resume as a coach is, is something that's appealing to USC, but I think he's relatively affordable as far as, you know, buyouts and, you know, what you can offer him versus what he's making, that type of thing. Um, and I would guess that depending on how the season plays out for Penn State, and even if it goes negatively, you know, maybe they try to work a, pre, a PJ Fleck, you know, type of extension. You know, certainly more lucrative yeah, than he's that. But have leverage for right, sure. Right, right. I mean, just kind of a we want to keep you type of extension that you see in in college sports. Um, but it'll be really interesting. I mean, the USC job, no matter what coach you are, you have to consider it. You have to at least think about it. Yeah, man. The the prestige of that program, the you know, the level of recruits right in your backyard that want to go to right. USC. The memories of Lendale White, yeah. that tinted visor, <laughs> stumbling into the end zone, and yep. Uh, yes i mean yeah how how can you really say no to that so mm-hmm. uh yeah it, it'd be that'll be fascinating to watch that 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 could be one of the it's probably the biggest potential poach of, of anywhere mm-hmm. uh this offset this coaching silly season yep uh ohio state ran over rutgers wisconsin fairly impressive win against a, a pretty bad nebraska team jonathan taylor went for over 200 yards in that game joe burrow just continues marching along through for almost 500 yards Insane. five touchdowns they, i mean he is uh, hopefully we can talk maybe after the college football season we can talk some nfl draft i mean i'm very curious to see you know just the rise of him like that's almost unprecedented for i mean what, what would you say his stock was week one of the season like maybe late round drafted. yeah right i mean to maybe not the favorite to go number one but i i it seems like it's trending in that direction and i, I think he's someone that will impress in interviews i think he's someone whose tape is you know the more you look into it is going to be really impressive um but i mean hopefully we'll see more of him you know down the stretch and, and into the college football playoff last game i want to hit on texas i mean come on come yeah, on i mean come iowa on. state is a respectable program you know this is seneca wallace you you have to keep that in mind whenever you're playing them but texas claws its way back into the rankings they're sitting at six and three they're number 19 and then you go lose at iowa state and score 21 points yeah i the weird thing is that it was kind of counter to what we've seen from this Texas team all year where the the off, the offense has been really explosive. I think Ellinger, despite you know all the losses that Texas had taken to that point to kind of knock him out of the Heisman race, he's been really good. And even without like a great run game behind him, he and Colin Johnson permanently being uh, questionable with, with various injuries all the time, uh, he's still been able to to draw a great offense from that. But last week against Iowa State, couldn't get it rolling, and Texas's defense finally showed up a little bit against a really good Iowa State offense. It has Brock Purdy, it has Brees Hall, it's got you know a lot of speed on the outside at, at receiver. On top of that, so the defense finally shows up, and the offense kind of lets them down. So that that I think at, like adds up to like the ultimate frustration part of that. Uh, in addition to it being what the Texas's fourth loss of the season there, so pretty brutal um there were a lot of comps to um you know i saw 
late stage Mac Brown records being being measured up next to next to Herman's last couple of years. That's not fair. That's not nice. Seasons, yeah, that kind of stuff. Or you know, is he actually better than what Charlie Strong was doing? So that (laughs) yeah, I mean, the people are getting a little bit unhinged about this, and Mm -hmm. I think it's it's probably fair to like at least be like, hey, Tom, like you need to get this together. But I still think in the end he will. Um, it's just very clear that once again, uh, Texas, uh, not back and in the, in the back meter, they're, they're on the very much not back side of that. The whole Texas is back thing has kind of become a meme in and of itself, but it's, it's almost transcended that I feel like, I mean, we were saying Texas is back as a joke, like six years ago. And it's just, it's been the exact same cycle every single year, year in, year out, big win followed by multiple big losses, big win, program changing, win, program changing coach, multiple losses like this every single year. I I think I put them in my playoff prediction uh, entering the season. I, I really thought that they were going to be better than Oklahoma, wow. and I thought with that, and I certainly didn't think LSU was going to be this good. So I, mm. I thought that they were probably going to win that game coming into the year. I really didn't believe the the hubbub coming out of LSU, like oh, oh yeah, we whoa, fixed our watch your language. Like, yeah, right. I, I'll believe it when I see it. Yep. Um, which it had I had been proven right on for a few years in a row with them keep continuing to say that they're going to modernize, and then they finally did it this year, and it's unbelievable mm-hmm. what they've been able to do so texas really falling short of expectations and they, they were pretty dominant in the sugar bowl last year and they brought yep. back so many pieces of that team there and you know you could have argued that their defense was going to be even better this year with, with more guys uh, more like experience for a lot of like star freshmen that they had a year ago coming into year two it's really just been a mess and it's hard to really point a finger at one exact thing as to why it's all gone so wrong but you can't deny that it has You do wonder if they had closed out the LSU game back in week three, how much that changes things. I mean, they've played LSU arguably better than anyone. I think that the score against Alabama was close, but I I think Texas gave them a better run at the time than Alabama did. Um, You know, at that point, if if they were able to win that game, who knows where the season goes? You know, they lost Oklahoma only by seven, another close game. Um, Maybe that loss still happens. You know, you can kind of trace it out. But I think just from a confidence perspective and just kind of keep things rolling, um, you do wonder, you know, how that ends up. I mean, at that point, even when they lost, you're like, okay, Texas is still a very real challenger. I mean, they're not going to make the playoff maybe, but, you know, there they could be a team that hangs around the top 10. And um, to their credit, they, I mean, they won their next three after the LSU loss. But I, I think, you know, that's the thing about college football is when you have a, a really damaging loss early like that, you do wonder how it impacts maybe not your motivation, but just, you know, kind of knowing in the back of your mind, like our chances are not great to finish where we want to finish. You know, how does that kind of impact the, the way your, your season plays out? The week to week focus. And and I think there's almost nothing that exemplifies that further than either getting <coughs> beat soundly by TCU or really almost losing to Kansas. Yeah, I think both of those things are things that this Texas team should have no yeah. business being even close to that either of those situations. So I think that 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 is something that you can point to Tom Herman and say, you're, you didn't get your guys ready for those specific yeah. games, and, and that's on you. Their worst loss of the season is their win over Kansas. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. That's the way I'll phrase that. All right, let's look to the DFS slate for week 13. And as always, we'll start at the quarterback position. You have three guys in your elite tier this week. Justin Fields at 8,600, Sam Ellinger of those Texas Longhorns at 8,300, and then Brock Purdy, uh, of course, of Iowa State at Kansas. He's at 8,100. Uh, where are you going with these three guys? Um, I, Fields Fields is obviously a great play, and and he's got the rushing upside to even where Penn State maybe slows him down through the air. He he's still going to make it happen. He's still a threat to score a rushing touchdown. 
in this one and, and maybe even go for a hundred rushing yards overall. So it's going to be tough to go against him or it's tough to argue against him. But I think the lineups that I want to make aren't going to feature most of these uh Really, really high-priced quarterbacks. Ellinger, obviously a good play as well, but going to Baylor, Baylor has a tough defense, even though they, they had the meltdown this past week. I think that Matt Rule isn't going to let them blow that twice. And, and you know, to use a Nick Sabanism, like, don't waste a, a, uh, a failure type of thing. So I think that Baylor will come ready to go up against Texas this week. So maybe I'm not going to have a ton of Ellinger either. Do love Brock Purdy though, and somehow he's cheaper than he was a week ago um, against Texas than he than he is this week against Kansas. Kansas really, it's hard to underestimate or undersell how bad that defense is overall. Um, so Purdy can hurt you with his legs in addition to his to his arm. He's got the the good receivers, a good tight end, and Charlie Kohler. Um, and what I also like about him is that you can pair him with inexpensive options and and stack that Iowa State offense that is expected to score among the most of any team on the board for this week so uh definitely love like uh Brock Purdy or the most or the highest implied total 41 and a half points is what Iowa State is projected Sheesh. to score this week so of those elite guys I'm going after Purdy but again I think I'm more inclined to go after some of the bargains would you like to tell me who some of those bargains are, John? You know, I sure would. Um, so Charlie Brewer on the other side of that Texas-Baylor uh, game, uh, he was really impressive last week, and he's been pretty impressive all season long. So if he's good to go for this week, I think he is. And, and if Denzel Mims, the receiver, is also good to go, then then he's someone to consider because Texas uh, has the worst pass defense of any team on this uh, ledger. I think they're giving up well over 300 yards. Uh, per 305 yards per game uh, that's really bad two and two and a half passing touchdowns per game it's just it's mind-boggling that with the collection of talent that Texas has that they're that bad and they're going to be on the road in Waco so I think that plays into Brewer's hands a fair bit uh, a really interesting guy I think is Malcolm Perry he's one of the more interesting pieces on the board for this week because it is one of the more interesting games too because we have two very different but two very effective offenses going at it with SMU and Navy. It's going to be in Annapolis, um, Malcolm Perry, 7,800. Um, both of these run defenses are really, really strong. Uh, SMU pretty vulnerable through the air, but obviously Navy isn't the type of team to make someone pay for that. So they're going to be sticking to the run. But Perry, ninth in the nation in rushing yards with well over 1,000, like 1159, I think it is, 16 rushing touchdowns on top of that. So he's going to be someone that you have to consider, even with SMU being relatively good against the run. It's just you can be good against the run, but defending the option can be kind of a different story it would be kind of cool if navy just all of a sudden went air raid for this game like after all these years they finally have been saving it all for this game in the smu defense yes <laughs> just just so objectionable to to like the 1980s pony excess yeah, and they, like, they, navy fans go, are like throwing up in the stands like what is this why is the ball in the air why are they doing this uh, so you can't throw it forward unbelievable so that that should be a fun game and and uh, Perry, I think we're, we're seeing his price be down from what we would normally expect just because Notre Dame took care of them so yeah, well last they sure week. did. But uh, I think that they'll bounce back a good bit this week. Uh, some other guys from this tier that I, I would be fading, um, Brady White. I think that South Florida, for all of their warts, actually kind of decent against the pass. I think Memphis can more so get by uh, using its ground game. Now that Patrick Taylor is back, they have you know Kenny Gainwell as, uh, on top of that and Kylan Watkins. So they have a lot of ways that they can hurt you on the ground. Um, so I think that they're mostly going to 
to go that route and expose South Florida that way. I don't think that Brady White's going to be throwing it as much as we've seen in recent weeks. He was great last week, though. Uh, Sean Clifford, someone that I would avoid. Uh, Shane Bouchelle, um, not that I necessarily hate his matchup, but I, I, what I do hate about the matchup is that Navy's going to chew up clock, and that, that cuts down on the possession, so you're just not going to get as much as you might uh, want out of Bouchelle this week. Uh, Kellen Mond is kind of an interesting gpp play because everything kind of points to staying away from the georgia defense because georgia's been so good both against the run and the pass this year they're allowing like 10 points a game texas a&m only projected to go for like 16 points uh this week in athens so um i think the ownership's gonna be really low on mond but i also don't think that georgia has necessarily seen a quarterback uh of a dual threat capacity like mons uh thus far this year so maybe he can pick up some production there and he quietly he's kind of had this a and offense rolling a little bit lately. Um, I think my favorite quarterbacks for this week, though, are Keaton Slovis, 7K, going up against UCLA, and, and Mikhail uh, Cunningham of Louisville at 6,100 going up against Syracuse. So um, I think that you can build a really, really strong lineup using Slovis and Cunningham at, at your at your quarterback in your super flex spots because, I mean, you're only spending just over 13000 on your quarterbacks, and both of them have really, really good matchups and have mm-hmm. been producing really, really well. Is there a case at the running back position to pay up for Chuba again this week? Um, everyone everyone was like 100% Chuba last week, and it didn't like burn you per se, but it was more like if you didn't have Najee Harris, then then you were kind of sunk. And as, as the week progressed um, and, and we saw – how things were going to go um, with there were some questions as to to attack of availability going into that game it felt like just it was going to be the Najee Harris game and it was insane the production that he was putting up in that matchup so he was the key it's not really a slight against Hubbard but he wasn't like the nuts as far as your, your DFS lineups were concerned last week 8900 going up against West Virginia he'll probably do fine once again here I wouldn't bet against that but in tournaments, I don't think I'm really going to have a ton of Chuba exposure. I think that I can spend my money a little bit better. I think you can see uh, – I would be worried a little bit about Kenny Gainwell, too, with, with Patrick Taylor being back for, from Memphis. So the way that I would approach it is 7,700, J.K. Dobbins, the way that he's running. Again, I think that he's going to be someone that might not have the ownership because of the tough matchup, but I think Ohio State's going to put up some points there. Dobbins would be the way to go about it if I'm approaching this Ohio State um, offense. I, what I really like though is Joshua Kelly at 6,700 going up against USC. USC not so great against the run. Um, so and Josh Kelly such a vital part of that UCLA offense. And at, you know outside of their matchup against Utah, which was a brutal one last week, um, he's been running really well in the UCLA offense uh, with its ground game has been crushing it. Uh, Brees Hall um, 6,700 also. Um, he's someone that is going up against Kansas. I don't think I need to like sell you too much beyond yeah. that. He's defense you. Yeah. So it should, that should go really well. I think that Iowa state again, uh, projected to score a ton of points this week. I think that a good bit of it is going to come on the ground via Kelly or, um, via Brees Hall. I like the Josh Kelly pick. Um, I mean, even in a game that you lose 49 to three to, to carry the ball 19 times is a lot for a game that you're trailing. You know, I mean, usually you just kind of go into pass mode and the running back is, is kind of forgotten and he's, he's not someone they really use as a receiver. Um, but you know, that, that seems like a really high floor for a game like that to still get to 78 yards. Um, you know, no touchdowns, of course, you're disappointed if you used him, but I think it's a, a fairly good sign, you know, given that he's yeah, going yeah. up against such an easier opponent. 
I mean, at, at least 125 yards in each of his uh, previous three games, seven touchdowns over that span. Uh, I like that call a lot. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. So basically, UCLA, the, these last two years, the, the theme has been that they've been really disappointing to open the season and then they find their groove especially on the ground and especially with kelly so i think that you know we're starting to see the the beginning of a pattern here with the way things are running under chip under chip kelly at ucla and i I think that you know this ground game at at certain points if the if the wrong team goes up against them and and isn't uh fully ready for what chip kelly has dialed up you're gonna get just absolutely smoked on the ground Mm -hmm. so and like you said kelly even in a game script that wasn't favorable to the run, still seeing 19 carries, that that goes to show you how vital he is to that Mm -hmm. offense. So I love going under 7K at my running back spots this week and and going after them. Um, But I would consider um, going going with Kelly and Brees Hall as my two running backs and then maybe trying to save a little bit in my flex to go after maybe a Dobbins um, to round out my lineup. But of course, you got to go a little bit cheaper at receiver. But I think that there are also ways to go about that Mm -hmm. this week. Well. You're, you were just a transition machine today let's go right <laughs> to the receiver good, position um you know I, I know you don't really like a lot of the higher price guys this week there's four players uh priced above seven thousand but a lot of value to be found in the you know five to six thousand range yes so uh, i'll start out with the, with the value guys before i round back to um to some of these more high-priced guys i think drake london is a really interesting player from usc he's a freshman he's six five um coming off his best game thus far so I'm, I'm really targeting this usc passing game i'm really targeting this usc ucla game overall i think really kelly's the only piece of the of the bruins that i'm going to be getting after but really really like what usc is going to be able to do through the air against ucla um so going after london he's just 4700 and again he's he's a really intriguing player um, with a lot uh, to him, uh, there you run the risk of him being maybe like the number four option in this USC offense because you know you have Michael Pittman, of course, and I'll get to him soon. But uh, Tyler Vaughns and Amon Ross St. Brown, if they're both fully ready to go there, then that that cuts down on London's target projection there. But I still think that there's enough uh, going to be enough for him to hit value at forty seven hundred. Um, Tutu Atwell, uh, 5,900, talked about him before, but I love going uh, against Syracuse. I know it didn't really work this past week. One of the more like head-scratching games was the Syracuse beatdown of, I think, Duke it was. Um, so that was kind of out of nowhere there, but I, I still think overall uh, you're going to see Louisville be able to move the ball on Syracuse um, through the air. And then on the other side of that game, actually, Tristan Jackson of Syracuse has been playing really well. So going up against Louisville, Louisville, not a great pass defense necessarily. I think there's going to be a lot of points in this one, a lot of uh, just – it's going to be mostly an offensive game, I, th- I think, in that one. So Tristan Jackson, 6,700, a little bit pricier, but I still like him a fair bit. Um, Antonio Gibson of Memphis, I know that I was kind of decrying the, the Memphis uh, passing game a little bit earlier, but at 5,200 for a guy that's gone uh, well over 15 uh, DraftKings points each of the last three weeks and is still – over or just over 5k i think that he's really really appealing i know demonte coxie uh, takes up a, a fair bit of it but memphis does tend to spread the ball around enough to where i think gibson is going to get his uh you know coming off a game against houston last week with four grabs for uh, 93 yards and a touchdown also gets in in the uh in the action on the ground as well like we saw against smu so those are those are some of the, like the more uh value guys that i like and then I, i'm gonna have a hard time not paying up for michael Pittman. Um, again i really like this usc passing game and Pittman. Um, over the last few weeks has really kind of established himself as one of the best if not 
if not the best like fantasy receiver out there. I mean, he's going over 10.8 yards per target over over his last four games, got four touchdowns in that span, 12 targets per game in that span. So the, the mixture of volume and explosiveness that Pittman is giving you, especially going up against UCLA this week, it's he's going to be one of my core guys. I know that I've been preaching going cheaper at, at receiver, but um, I will go up and, and grab him this week. And I think by virtue of him being 7,600 and maybe some people will like James Prochet a little bit more at 7,700. Um, I think that there, there is a bit of a buying opportunity uh, when it comes to Pittman uh, this week. And then, of course, um, speaking of Prochet and, and speaking of the rest of this SMU passing attack, again, I, I don't love stacking it because uh, Navy's going to drag down the sheer amount of possessions. But Prochet, absolute target machine. Couldn't fault you for going against, going with him, especially in this uh, PPR type of format. And uh, Kylan Granson, um, last time out when they played against East Carolina, he was an absolute machine. Um, so he's someone to, to at least consider at 5,200 because I think, if nothing else, he still is probably their number one option as a red zone weapon. So if they get into the red zone against Navy, which they should, uh, Granson's just an absolute beast. All right, let's look ahead to Week 13. Wisconsin as a home date against Purdue. Nice late afternoon game. Uh, probably not a ton of eyes on that one nationally. What Penn State, Ohio State. I don't know. I'm, like, I'm going to be in Madison this weekend. It's looking that way at least for the first time in a while. So maybe maybe head downtown. Maybe you know head to Scotty Bar. Love it. Have a couple of Bush NAs and you know enjoy the game. <laughs> as one um, does. You're actually going to be in Athens. Yeah. You're going to be on the scene for A and M at Georgia. Uh, this is kind of your your yearly pilgrimage back to to where it all began Mm -hmm. uh what is on the agenda for this full weekend yeah i'm very excited uh one of my good buddies is in grad school there so um i don't have to like go huge go stay in atlanta i can actually stay in athens both friday and saturday night um so that's going to be a lot of fun i cannot wait to be there we got the boys have a good crew we got people coming in from mississippi we got people coming in from north carolina obviously from wisconsin too so really a, a uh I'd say this should be the best tailgate that the boys have put on outside of uh, calling the it Notre right Dame now. game. The, the okay. Notre Dame game, I think, will, will probably trump it all, especially <laughs> with it being the night game, um, undefeated and everything like that. But this should be really, really fun. Um, I've Georgia has not played Texas A&M since they joined the SEC about 30 years mm-hmm. ago or however long it's been, uh, more like seven, but... Who's counting? Um, Has it been seven already? Yeah, Jesus. yeah, I know. Right? I still think of them as Big Twelve. It's yeah, it's it's hard not to. So I, I'm excited to interact and mix it up with the A and M fans because um, I, I imagine that the, they will uh, you know be excited to be in Athens more so than mm-hmm. you know some of like the your Auburns and your and your Bama um, types that are very comfortable with Athens and, and really make themselves at home there pretty pretty easily. I think A and M will be will be nice and uh, a good group of, of people to hang out with. <laughs> Get a haze them or something? Well, you know, we had a we had an incident with some Bama people mm. at, at, our, at our house a few years ago, and yeah. uh, I believe a toilet seat was put through the wall at, at one point. Ah, so that's that's a standard procedure. <laughs> that's how you know that they've arrived. Is it the toilets? Now the weekend mm-hmm. can begin. The ceremonial toilet seat through the wall. The, the having the friend in grad school thing is so nice, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm like for a while that w- after graduating undergrad, it was oh, I still have a friend who's doing a fifth year or a friend who's doing a two year program, and like man, as long as you have one guy there, that's all it takes just to have someone you know that you can stay with. Um, I had a, a good friend in law school at Notre Dame that that gave us an excuse to go to a game there every year. Never mm-hmm. would have done that had it not been for that. Um, but unfortunately, we're probably nearing the end of that, right? I mean, yeah. 26, 27, 28 years old, like grad school. 
it started to dry up. I mean, you maybe sit down with this guy and tell him to fail a few classes, maybe extend this a year or two. Okay, and he's a loyal listener, so I think that he'll probably okay. heed well, your advice. There we go. And uh, this is my first time back in Sanford Stadium since I was in school, actually, since 2014, because, uh, yeah, the last couple of years I went to, uh, to LSU, to Notre Dame. Uh, year prior, uh, one of my friends got had the audacity to get married during football season. Uh, even though it was what? Like, was it that was, a prank or something? Basically, um, it was during the Georgia bye week, oh though. Goodness. So, I mean, it made some more Jesus. sense, but still had to burn my one <clears throat> weekend away from yep. the college football grind on that. Unbelievable. Um, and then I was in Athens for the Bama-Georgia uh, Bama game in 2015, but uh, that was like monsooning out. So you were just, I, you're just I, around I, the game? I, yeah, I yeah. was just around. Just lurking around? Uh, yes. Yeah. Um, well, last time I missed a Badger game for a wedding, they lost to BYU. So, okay, so that's just kind of what happens. Yeah, it's I mean, lesson learned. Um, let's take a quick look at some of the updated Vegas odds. Not too much going on. Um, checked a couple of sports books, DraftKings, FanDuel, um, and they kind of have the same type of offerings. Basically, just Heisman and title at this point. You can look at you know conference title odds, but you know a lot of those are pretty reminiscent of what you see for the college football playoff odds. But we'll we'll go there first. Uh, Ohio State is currently the favorite to to be crowned the champion. They're at plus two hundred. Clemson plus 225, LSU 250, Georgia 900. Pretty big drop-off, which is, I think, representative of what we talked about earlier. Then you get to Bama at plus 2,000, Oklahoma 2,200, Oregon 4,000, Utah 5,000, Penn State 6,600. You can get Wisconsin at plus 50,000. Love that. Love that. (laughs) I I might just put a dollar on that. I mean, you never know. Something could happen. Um, But I I think these odds reflect pretty clearly um, what you'd expect, although... To me, I think I would still almost have Clemson ahead of Ohio State just based on the road. You know, I know Ohio State's been by far the the most impressive team, and I I think right now you'd have to take Ohio State head to head against Clemson if it came to that. But to me, you know, these odds still have to reflect what can happen between now and the playoff. And you know, Ohio State's schedule is really tough these next couple of weeks, whereas Clemson is just going to kind of keep rolling. We think. Yeah, that's it. That's a really good point. So it is kind of like splitting hairs when you're talking about you know plus two hundred versus two plus two fifty. Um, where, where LSU is, of course, but yeah, I think it is. It is reflective of where of the general. I think, I think the title comes from one of those three teams, and I, I think that that's yeah. reflected in there is a better way of saying saying that. Uh, Clemson, I think you bring up a good point there that their path is just so much easier um, right. that that there's uh, less chance of them tripping up along the way than, than there is with Ohio State that is theoretically going to have three right. very difficult games. Three top to, 15 to games of, to finish things out. Yeah, yeah I think that, I that's mean, tough. that's a lot of respect for Ohio State, I, I think, more than anything else. I mean, not even, you know, I've, what I was initially saying is, you know, Penn State and Michigan factoring those in, but then the Big Ten title game on top of that. And I guess maybe there's a case that they're allowed to lose one of those three games and still have a pretty good case. Um but still, yeah, I, I think I would move that. I would move Clemson up to number one just by virtue of them being virtually a lock yeah, to get into the playoff in the first there. place. You know, obviously, if you don't make the playoff, you're not winning the title. Um, and even LSU at plus two fifty, that's those odds are maybe not as great as I thought you'd be able to get. You know, I mean they they still have to probably you know, as we discussed earlier, like you'd like them to win the SEC title game to really feel good about them getting in, um, and then having to win two more games on top of that. I mean, I. I thought maybe plus 300 plus 350 would be a little more appropriate okay so uh yeah you have a better head for for when it comes to like those type of odds but yeah there there is um you know a tougher uh conference title game that they will be facing Mm -hmm. versus what what clemson will um so that that is tough and that i think uh is baked in there but overall yeah i think uh yeah i think that those three um are 
clearly that cut above the, that that cluster of, of teams that you would expect mm-hmm. the title comes from one of those. If you're a Pac-12 guy, um, Oregon at plus 4,000 or Utah, whichever of those teams you think is better, not a bad bet. You know, no, I mean, based on some of the stuff we laid out earlier, you would think that you know, the reason those odds are so high, of course, is, you know, you kind of, you have to pick one of those teams. They're not both making it. Um, and, and you, it's kind of a 50, 50 right now based on how they played and where they're ranked. But I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't pick Oregon straight up against LSU or Ohio state or Clemson, but if they get in, you know, if we've seen the lowest ranked team of the four, you know, come through in the past and, you know, getting them at those odds, I, I think could could end up being a bargain, assuming they make it looking at the Heisman odds. I mean, this one's basically wrapped up yeah. at this point. I, I don't know if there's anything Joe Burrow could even do to lose this. I mean, no. how many interceptions would he have to throw? Uh, I mean, I guess if LSU somehow were to lose out and he was the reason they lost all those games, I mean, it would be like the biggest collapse in Heisman history. And Then who do you give it to? Do, right, well, Jalen Hurts, I guess? I'll read the odds. So it's Burrow at minus 1,115, which is insane. I mean, I, we're late in the year, but that's still insane. Um, Justin Fields is next at plus 700. Jalen Hurts plus 1,200. Chase Young at plus 2000 despite being suspended time, yeah. that's that speaks to how how whittled down this field has become i mean could you imagine telling someone week one uh, a chase young coming off of suspension will have significantly better heisman odds than trevor lawrence who's at <laughs> plus twenty five thousand. like he's not even going to be a finalist at this point he has the same odds as as t higgins travis Etienne has better heisman odds at plus twenty thousand than trevor lawrence that's wild. right now so that's the other thing with burrow is we've seen i mean this time last year we thought it was tua but it wasn't so much that Tua lost it. It was that Kyler just snatched it. Yeah. And, you know, I, I guess maybe there's a scenario where Fields goes for six touchdowns on Saturday and six touchdowns against Michigan and six touchdowns in the Big Ten title game. Um, but it's just hard to imagine Burrow collapsing. I mean, this is a almost insurmountable lead in terms of the odds. Yeah, it, it really is. And, you know, to your, to your point on Lawrence, like, he's only got one game left. Like, he's he might make it to 3,000 yards and 30 touchdowns when this year's all said and done, but it, there's no way that he, he wins it. So, um, yeah, it, it is absolutely wild uh, how how much that he has the grip on it, especially now mm-hmm. with Tua being basically eliminated from the field. It's crazy to me, again, that Chase Young, even with the suspension, is still mm-hmm. top five in terms of the odds. Um, yeah. So, yeah, this is this is 100% Burroughs to lose, and uh, when you get to play against Arkansas and then get to uh, – get your revenge on A&M in that last game. I think that LSU is going to put a pretty resounding thumping on, on A&M in that one. Uh, yeah, I think that the, this is all sewed up. And, you know, maybe the, the hedge for Jalen Hurts in, in case anything totally crazy happens between now and December. But, yeah, mm-hmm. this, is, this is Burroughs. This is, this is pretty cut and dried here, in my yeah. opinion. I mean, we're looking at the way that LSU is cruising. Um, you know, we're assuming that they play at least four more games, and it could be as many as five, right? Um, with the SEC title game and then potentially two playoff games. I mean, he has 38 touchdowns right now. I mean, he could very easily get to like 52 touchdowns. He has six picks right now. I mean, he could finish with like 52 and eight or something like that, or 52 and six even. I mean, it's it's really going to be kind of an all-time season. And I, I think the fact that he just didn't have the Tua Lawrence hype, like it, it's still kind of taking time almost to sink in. But I mean, he is putting up ridiculous numbers and what's been a, just nobody's a crazy offense no nobody's like i mean that's the thing like there's been no saturation with him because it just started you know what seems like four or five weeks ago you know when he really kind of made himself uh the front runner and i think the alabama game i don't know if there's one singular moment that you would call like his heisman moment in that game maybe just kind of the game ceiling drive the the scramble to kind of get that final first down before they punch it in um 
but that that whole game is just kind of his Heisman moment. I, think I guess his Heisman moments probably when his pants got pulled down against was it Auburn <laughs> or something. Yeah, change the trophy. That's the new Heisman. <laughs> a man butt. struggling to to get his pants up. Um, yeah, I mean it's gonna be. I think Burrow, Fields, and Hurts are pretty safe to be at the ceremony. I, who's the fourth guy? I mean, right now, I guess maybe Chase Young. Maybe if Oregon wins out, they just bring Herbert Herbert there. I mean, you usually want at least four guys, right? I think sometimes they've, they've done sometimes three. They, yeah, sometimes it's been as many as five or six in the right. past. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think they get. I think they they can decide on that. They can decide how many finalists there are. Um, I'm hoping I'm not forgetting somebody obvious. But who who's the last LSU Heisman winner? Uh, have they? Gosh, it would be probably since like before our time. Yeah, I was gonna say Fournette did not win it. I don't right. think so. so uh, yeah, it would have to be. You know, we're talking. I don't know if Jamarcus was a finalist or anything like that. But was Matthew a finalist? Obviously, he, he didn't win it, but I think he, he was. was. Yeah, um, was Glenn Dorsey a finalist? That'd been cool. He was really <laughs> super dominant. So, he was awesome. Um, but it, I feel like it's probably like a random guy from like the seventies is the LSU last Heisman winner. Billy Cannon, yes. the quarterback number twenty, who is posing like he's about to like cast a spell on somebody. It's one of those old timey black and white photos. He won it in nineteen fifty nine. Gosh, it's been so, that long. He's our only Heisman winner. I would have uh, taken the over on like two and a half Heisman winners for LSU. Yeah, I guess when you when you really think back on it, 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 it does kind of make sense, you know. But yeah, boy, that's that is wild um, and un, slightly unrelated. But I, I was looking at um, at some some random things uh, college football related earlier today, and I saw that uh, the Arizona State field is called uh, Frank Cush Field, and I looked up who Frank Cush was. Uh, he was he was playing defensive tackle in college at 110160 back in the 50s so uh, wow like the original just, Elvis Dumerville. yeah just a real um, yeah gap plugging uh a space eater uh everything that that uh Terrence Cody wanted to be he modeled Damn. after Frank Cush I think I that's one of those names that you hear tossed around I mean he was a he was a coach uh as I'm reading his Wikipedia right now coached obviously at Arizona State coached in the CFL coached in the NFL coached in the USFL yeah um, definitely field worthy man yeah, I, I mean, anytime you can name your field after after somebody's last name is Kush, I think you just got to do it, right? That's just kind of a no-brainer. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.